Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 182 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed week 14 of the NFL season as we get towards the tail end here, and hope you're all excited for Christmas, Kwanzaa, if you were celebrating Hanukkah. Hope you had a good one. Uh, as we push towards the tail end of 2023, um, a year that really seems to have flown by. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's the older you get, you just notice the passage of time a little bit differently. But we're not here to have a philosophical discussion, um, though that does intrigue me. But no, we're here to talk NFL football, and we're going to do it like we do every week with my standout seven. Number one, let's get right into the bigger story. Both Super Bowl teams lost this past week. Bigger story, let's get started with the primetime loser. The Eagles lost to the Cowboys on Sunday night football, or the Chiefs lost to the Bills. Well, let's talk Philly. Putting the ball on the ground in this game. I mean, I am not of the opinion that some people have that the Eagles are straight frauds after this game. However, however, when you take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles 10-3 and record, and you look at the fact that if Josh Allen's on the same page as Gabe Davis, they're 9-4. and If there's a pass interference called against their DB on Marquez Valdez-Scantling, they might be 8-5. and five. Then you start to dig around a little. You say, well, I mean, OT with the Commanders, right? The fumble before halftime by Justin Jefferson going through the end zone, which apparently may or may not be getting changed. I don't know if you all are aware of that. Supposedly, they're considering a change to the touchback rule if you are fumbling through the end zone. Not 100% certain how that would work. Um, personally, just an idea I was kicking around. If you could somehow draw the line between a fumble being forced by the defense explicitly and a fumble being forced by the ground or by an action by the offensive player, maybe if the defensive player comes up and does a peanut punch and it goes through the end zone, that's a touchback. There was a play made by the defense. If it's knocked out by the ground or knocked out by just slipping out of the hand, maybe that wouldn't be. A touchback? I don't know. Um, I saw an idea kicked around. If you're diving for the end zone, you know, maybe if you don't get there and you fumble through the end zone, you got to take it back to the 10-yard line or something. It's all really arbitrary. Um, But yeah, intriguing. As I was saying, take away that fumble for halftime and that 34-28 eagle victory may not have gone that way. You also look back, a win that didn't age very well, 25-20 allowing the Patriots to kind of claw their way back in after being down 16 in the first quarter. Didn't age great. Um, Like I said, I'm not of the opinion that this Eagles team is fraudulent. However, they're not exactly on the pedestal that they were a handful of weeks ago, and nor should they be. I mean, their offense didn't look great. Like I said, putting the ball on the turf over and over against Dallas. And their defense didn't do much better. I mean, the Cowboys' running game didn't stomp all over them. You know, their two lead backs, you're talking 28 carries for 105 yards. 
a little under four yards a carry. It's nothing crazy, but it was efficient. It did the job. They didn't force a pick out of Dak, and we all know he loves to throw those now and again. 24-39, 271, and two touchdowns. An impressive victory for the Dallas Cowboys. And we could have easily, by the way, little glimpse into the pre-production mindset, I guess. This could have easily been bigger win Cowboys or Chiefs. Excuse me, Cowboys or Bills. Cowboys in the wild card, trying to take over the division, trying to take over the one seed in the NFC. The Bills trying to fight their way back into playoff contention. However, we went negative. Perhaps that is a glimpse into the way I view certain things. Hmm. I also did like the angle of pairing the Super Bowl teams together. On that front, let's talk Bills, Kansas City. And frankly, I am not shocked by anything that went down in that game. Uh, including the Kadarius Tony offensive offsides. Was a little surprised to see the outrage from Patrick Mahomes towards the referee. Maybe he didn't want to show up Tony, but he was just so frustrated and Look, with the amount of drop passes they have as an offense, I can understand how your quarterback could be frustrated. But, man, like, you're going to be mad that they made the call and it was the right call. I guess maybe he was thinking they swallowed the whistle on that a lot. They had the numbers, I believe it was during Sunday night football or Monday night football. I forget which one. I think it was Sunday night where they said this year that penalty has been called about 11 or 12 times. Past few years has been called about a combined three or four times. Um maybe a point of emphasis for the referees for whatever reason, but it was the right call. At the end of the day, look, you want to be angry about something, you can be angry. It was the right call. I mean, there's still Eagle fans complaining about the whole defensive holding in the Super Bowl. It was the right call then, and this was the right call now. You don't like it, blame the player on your team. Don't blame the referee for doing their job. But back to the matter at hand, enough referee discussion. Um, this is another game within the span of a month that, uh, a referee involvement has potentially changed the outcome of a chief game. And I guess that's where the anger comes from, uh, for Patrick Mahomes. And I, I get it, but again, it was the right call, buddy. Um, the chiefs putting themselves in not the best situations. They didn't have Pacheco in this one. Pacheco's injured. Who's kind of become their lead back. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire working his way back into the offense. Um, I've always thought Jarek McKinnon was pretty good anytime they put him on the field, but they really, in this offense, like to use certain players in spurts, and they have specific lanes that they want to use them in. It's almost, and it's a bad comp, but I can't think of another one. It's almost like Tampa Bay Rays-like, if you're a baseball fan. Like, they try to put their players in very specific scenarios where they will excel with their skill set. McKinnon, they don't see him as an every-down back. They don't see him as a 15-touches-a-game kind of guy. I mean, every time he's out there, he looks pretty good to me. But, okay. Um, it's intriguing, but you, you can make the argument, much like the Tampa Bay Rays, they don't have that level of talent, so they have to do that. But... Whatever. We're not going to go into the fact the rumors of the Mike Evans trade that never was or some of the other receivers they could have and should have targeted. Um, but either way, this is a good win for Buffalo. In a weird week where there was the things about Sean McDermott making comments about 9-11 hijackers or something. It's very bizarre. And it's, it happened four years ago and we have an article about it now. Um, did Josh Allen play great? No. 
No, he did not. 23 of 42, touchdown and a pick. James Cook chipped in 5.8 per carry on the ground. Um, it was not an offensive struggle. It was more of a defensive struggle. And when it came down to it, Kansas City cooked up the perfect play, just like they did a few weeks ago against the Eagles. But this team just didn't have it. For whatever reason, against the Eagles, they didn't get a call. Against Buffalo, they didn't make the play properly. Insane level of spontaneity on the field, presumably from Kelsey and Tony. Insanity. Tremendous touchdown. Too bad it doesn't count. Anyway, big win for the Buffalo Bills. If we were doing who got the bigger win here, I'm not certain who I'd pick. Because Buffalo is still in a very, very, very crowded AFC playoff picture, but a win over Kansas City does tremendous amounts for their confidence both in their team and their ability to make this run if they do make the postseason. But Dallas, on the other hand, is trying to snatch the one seed in the NFC. If they lose that game, they're a wild card team. Again, they're doing what they got to do. Huge wins for both of them. That's another reason I didn't pick bigger win, because it's hard for me to decipher if I'm being frank with you. Um, Bigger loss, I would say, has to be Philly, because there's nobody chasing Kansas City in the AFC West. Technically, I know. You look at the standings, you say, hey, Kansas City's 8-5. and five. Look who's right there, the Denver Broncos at 7-6. and six. I would not bet on Denver catching Kansas City based on Kansas City's remaining games, but anything is possible. Bigger loss, the Philadelphia Eagles. Number two in the standout seven, let's keep it positive. Bigger win, the Minnesota Vikings in a tremendous, exhilarating, 3-0 win over the Raiders. Surely the Raiders didn't score 60 points four days later. Um, or the Denver Broncos with a pretty big win. Granted, Justin Herbert gets hurt, but they're keeping rolling on the road against the LA Super Chargers. Not so super this year. And we'll talk about the Chargers. I mean, we'll get there. You know I'm itching to get there. But in due time. Okay, so let's get started with Minnesota. The reason I'm on the fence about this is because I was on the Dobbs train, and admittedly, Dobbs's train has derailed in Minnesota. For whatever reason, Dobbs was somehow doing better when he didn't know the playbook, immediately just thrust in, or in Arizona when he had a couple of weeks to learn the playbook at the end of the preseason than he's doing right now. I can't speak to the reason why. I know Justin Jefferson came back in this game and then gets hurt again. Uh, I know the Raiders' defense is decent. I mean, they're they're not world beaters, but, I mean, you hold the team to three points and it comes at the end of the game. That's a pretty good defensive performance. The Raider offense was uh, nothing special in this game. I think this is the game where Josh Jacobs got nicked up. I know he wound up uh, nicked up as well um, moving forward. What is there to say in this game? The only reason I would say it might be Minnesota is not because Nick Mullins came in and it was a world beater, but it's because they went to the backup quarterback and they got the win. If you scramble and you go to the backup QB in a close game and you lose, you're kind of up the creek without a paddle. Because now your starting QB, air quotes obviously because it's a midseason acquisition for Dobbs, is going to lose confidence. He knows he's not playing well. He knows that you know he's not playing well. He knows that the team is kind of not in a great spot with him out there. 
And oh, by the way, the backup would have potentially lost the game. In this case, I guess it would appear that Mullins is going to be the guy going forward for the Minnesota Vikings. Will that be able to push them into the postseason? We've got a weirdly crowded NFC playoff picture, too, for the wild card. Right now, you've got Philly head and shoulders above. You've got Minnesota with a one-game lead over the pack, but then seventh in the playoffs currently, you have the Green Bay Packers. Behind them, you have six and seven, L.A. Rams, Seattle Seahawks, Atlanta Falcons, and the Saints. And oh, by the way, still in it, the Giants and Bears at five and eight. Uh, Obviously, they need a heck of a lot of help, but it's worth noting. And for that reason, I might say that they got the bigger win simply because it kept their lead. Now, Denver was able to bring home a victory as well, and I want to show them some love, considering how much we've ripped Denver in the recent past. They go on the road against Justin Herbert. He gets hurt in this one, and you're just thinking, okay, well, it'd be very Denver to find a way to lose this game to Easton Stick. They do not lose this game to Easton Stick. Easton Stick, just over 50% completion percentage, 180 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Um, Kind of pure domination in this one. Chargers score a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Doesn't matter. 24-7. Russell Wilson with a pick. Didn't factor in. Javante Williams, 17 carries for 66 on the ground. Cortland Sutton, not a huge game. Just 60 yards receiving, but he had a touchdown in this one. Um, Yeah. Is this Denver team some kind of a late-season miracle sort of playoff push Super Bowl contender? I don't know if I'd go that far. I think that would be a stretch, but I do like Javante Williams a lot. Cortland Sutton has shown a lot. We know Sean Payton knows how to win a big game, or at least he has won one before, and ditto goes for Russell Wilson, so not the team you want to run into. Bigger win? I guess we'll go Minnesota, but, I mean, really, it's close to a push. Number three in the standout seven, bigger story, final one of the week. We're going to go back to the negative side of things because that's just the way it is. Bigger loss for a division leader. Jacksonville losing to the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland in a game that got close late. Or the Miami Dolphins losing on Monday night football in a game that had no business being close. And I think based on my tone, you can tell where we're going, but we'll keep it chronological. We'll start with the Jags. Three interceptions from Trevor Lawrence. Playing on a bum ankle. They strapped him up. They did what they had to do to get him out there. Three interceptions is not what you want. The team rushed for just over 50 yards on the ground. A little under 60, I should say. I mean, Evan Ingram showed up. He had 11 catches and two touchdowns. Calvin Ridley, not much. Um, this was a little bit of a nightmare game. It got close late. Jacksonville, I think they had the onside kick to try and make this a really interesting game. Didn't happen. Worth noting, Joe Flacco off his couch. 26 of 45, 311, three touchdowns and a pick. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's, I said it with Russell Wilson, he's won a big game. He's done it. But Joe Flacco's done it too. You forget that Joe Flacco's the guy that set up the Ravens to win in Foxborough before Lee Evans couldn't squeeze the ball and then their kicker missed the kick. His name escapes me. Um, Could have won that one as well. Beat Peyton Manning in Denver on a deep ball. 
what, 50-plus yards in the air, something like that? Got over the safety's head? Joe Flacco had, had him in him. Is there enough him left inside of Flacco to make this a playoff push for the Browns? The other thing worth noting, if you are a Jaguar fan, this is a team that was pushing for potentially, you know, a two seed, a one seed. Um, now you're still the four. Kansas City stumbling. Miami stumbles. We'll talk about in a sec. You're still the four. And oh, by the way, you have the Colts one game behind you. They don't have their starting quarterback, and they've missed their starting running back for quite a few games this year. And Houston, who's not going to have C.J. Stroud this week, is also 7-6. and six. Not to mention, since you're in the AFC, you are just one game above the wild card clutter that is Pittsburgh, Indy, Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, Buffalo, and for fun, let's include the Raiders at 6-8. and eight. This is panic time, potentially, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, by the way, who do they play this week? Uh, the Baltimore Ravens. It's put up or shut up time. Um, I figured looking at the schedule early in the year, as I always say, and have for the duration of the season, I thought Jacksonville would be one of these top AFC teams. That's not a surprising thing. I didn't think they'd be a sneak in division winner, just bear, you know, nine and nine and eight sort of record. Um, but if they can get through Baltimore, which is going to be a rough one, with the lead in the division, it does get easier. They've got Tampa Bay. Should be a decent game, but they're better than Tampa. Then they've got Carolina at home, and they end the season in Tennessee. I will admit, if the division's on the line and they're in Tennessee and Will, Le- will Levis is trying to do his thing, right, it could get spicy. It really could. If you're a Jacksonville fan, you really want to have it locked up before then. The other side of the coin here, we're talking about the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill winds up getting nicked up in this one early. I believe it was an ankle injury. Tough through it. Said he got a call from his wife telling him to just get back out there. Um, winds up putting up four catches for 61 yards. Nothing crazy in this game. Raheem Mostert, two touchdowns, a little under 100. 240 through the air for two and no touchdowns, no picks. The Dolphins' defense gave up 15 points in the fourth quarter. Miami, late in this game, I, I believe I have the timestamp. I wrote this down explicitly. Twenty to, No, I did not write it. I wrote down Tennessee fumble and it's over. We're talking a handful of minutes left here. It was 27 to 14, I believe. 27 to 13. Tremendous. Then, it's 28-27 with a minute 49, no timeouts for Miami. They can't get in field goal range. I mean, look, I know I'm. it's not exactly the most popular thing to have had Tua high up in the MVP rankings, but I think it would be unfair to say he wasn't a candidate. You can't get me three against Tennessee at home. With the one seed in the balance, that kills it. I know they said Tyreek Hill's odds shot up as an MVP candidate, but, uh, yeah. Either way, bigger loss. Currently, it's Miami, because they had the one seed potentially in their in their mitts. Long term, it could be Jacksonville, realistically, because they could lose this division. 
The C.J. Stroud concussion is a massive one. Massive. And we'll see Jonathan Taylor, I believe, is not going to go this week for the Colts. So they might back into winning this division through no fault of their own. Number four in the standout seven, let's do a prime time wrap-up. We've touched on Sunday night football. We've touched on half of Monday night football. Let's talk about Tommy Cutlets. Um, all the cards on the table, as they are every week, if it's your first episode or your 182nd. If it's not clear from the voice, native New Yorker, still live here, born and raised. Watching the New York Giants with Tommy Cutlets is significantly more fun than watching the New York Giants with Daniel Jones. Now, if you want to be the, the smart guy fan or the analytic fan, you're like, oh, you got to lose out, right? You got to get a better draft pick. Maybe you'll get Caleb Williams. Maybe you'll get uh, Drake May or any of those guys, whoever. Marvin Harrison Jr. But there is something to be said for the fact that the Giants were a playoff team last year. And they are under a new head coach as of the beginning of last year. Second year head coach now. You want to do the thing they always say and build a winning culture. Well, how do you do that? You bring in a backup QB and you find yourselves in a situation where you still think you can win. You still think we're going to go out there and be as competitive as we can. Tommy DeVito put up 158 passing yards. And he ran for 71. And he took on a Packer squad that under Coach LaFleur had not lost in December. Jordan Love did not put up a great game in this one. I think, if I recall correctly, and you can check last week's episode if you want to correct me, uh, which is completely all right. Comment section, if where you're listening has one, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. I believe I said the Packers should win this one. However, this is one of those games that a team that's not ready, right? They're not good enough, quote-unquote, could find a way to lose. And the Tommy DeVito magic was just too much. Jordan Love didn't look great. He threw a bad interception in this game. Bad interception. A.J. Dillon, I believe, fractured or broke his thumb in this game. Uh, your leading receiver is Tucker Craft. Obviously, the injury to Musgrave earlier in the year doesn't help. Um, Christian Watson was a no-go in this one as well. But this had to be a win. This had to be a win especially after Saquon Barkley did what he never does. He breaks away. It looks like the Giants are going to go up, build a two-score lead late in this game, and win it. And Barkley just stumbles to the ground, and the ground forces the fumble. Right? Both teams miss field goals in this game, so it's even on that end. But Barkley entirely has the fumble forced by the turf. Packers go down the field, do what they're supposed to do, take the lead, 22-21 with a buck 33 left. They don't get the two-point conversion. Giants have all three timeouts, and you're thinking, well, how hard can it be to lock up an offense with a an undrafted former transfer in college quarterback? Uh, very hard when he's playing in front of his hometown and his entire family. It seemed like his entire neighborhood, if you saw the footage of the, uh, the tailgate in the Meadowlands parking lot, the MetLife Stadium parking lot, rather, the Giants did enough. And you know what? Like I said, the smart fan would say, yeah, the lose for the draft pick, yada, yada, yada. You only get so many of these games, and you know what? I'm coming around to the fact that sometimes it's just fun to root for your team and have them actually come through. 
that was a fun game to watch as a New Yorker. Packer fan, probably not so much. How much credence do I give to the murmurings that one Thomas DeVito will be in a competition with Daniel Jones to be the quarterback next year? I'd say pump the brakes. We've got a couple of games left, but if the Giants end the year in a respectable manner, if they somehow, let's see, take a look at their schedule real quick, sitting at 5-8, and eight, they've got New Orleans, arguably winnable, an underachieving team. Then they've got Philly and Philly. Then they've got two home games against the Rams and the Eagles. If they end the year 2-2 two and two, or somehow miraculously 3-1, and one, if Philly doesn't need that last game, and they bench their starters, I mean, you can certainly make an argument it should be an open competition. It, I don't want to come across as always the negative Nancy Daniel Jones hater, but, I mean, realistically, what has the guy achieved? Nothing. Nothing. $40 million a year off of a, a playoff year where he stopped turning the ball over. That was the job. Anyway... That brings us to, still number four in the standout seven, but the one that, if you've been listening, you, you know that we, we wanted to get to here. Let's talk about, you know what, should we make it its own one here? Let's make it number five. It's going to stand alone. Let's talk Thursday night football. Let's talk about one of the biggest beatdowns I've ever seen from a bad team on a bad team. Maybe I'm too harsh on the Raiders. Maybe they're not a bad team. Maybe they're a pretty good team. Just not good enough. Just not good enough. Stuck with Garoppolo just a hair too long. Six and eight. Not bad. It was 42 to nothing at halftime. The Chargers had, what would they have, 17 fumbles in this game? This was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a Chargers football team. I can't claim to have seen every Charger game, every play of every Charger game in my life. Admittedly. East Coast guy, you can't catch every play of every Charger game. It's not going to be on sometimes, right? Particularly in the pre-Red Zone era. You know what I mean? However, this was astonishingly bad. This was miles worse than the New York Giants losing 40 to nothing in primetime at home to the Dallas Cowboys. Because the Dallas Cowboys are a pretty darn good team. Some people would say the Giants got kind of lucky last year to be a playoff team. And they got stomped out by a team that's been stomping them out for years. This is a Raider team with a rookie starting quarterback. They got exactly zero touches from Josh Jacobs, their lead running back in this game. They are on a rookie head coach who is defensive-minded, mind you, not offensive-minded. And you gave up 42 points and a half. They lose 63 to 21. And I'll admit, after the game, I heard that there was a reporter. I didn't catch the reporter's name, and I apologize for that. Um, because it was hilarious. There was a reporter who asked him explicitly, him being Brandon Staley, the head coach of the LA Chargers, do you think you're going to have this job next week? And you know what? When you're the guy who gets over-defensive when they ask you about play-calling duty changes and things like that, you deserve that question. Because you just embarrassed the franchise. You embarrassed the fans. You embarrassed Philip Rivers and 
and Kellen Winslow Sr. Like, this was one of the worst beatdowns I can remember. And again, this is not a great Raider team. This is not, look, it's not like they ran into the San Francisco 49ers. And it's like, man, McCaffrey had 230 yards on the ground. Oh, my goodness. No, your players couldn't hold on to the football. They could not hold the ball. They were fumbling left and right. I mean, stick through a pick in this one. Four touchdowns for Aiden O'Connell. 100 receiving yards for Devontae Adams. Two touchdowns for Trey Tucker. I'm sure he's carrying everyone's fantasy team. A touchdown for the rookie tight end, Michael Meyer. And a little uh, double header here. A passing touchdown for Jacoby Myers. And a receiving touchdown for Jacoby Myers. Patriots legend. So, and I've been saying for weeks, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, feel free to go back. I'm At this point, they've aged pretty well. Um, that I thought Brandon Staley was way over his skis here. And I'm not breaking any news. I We've been talking about this pretty much his entire time as a coach. Since the debacle, weird ending with the Raiders-Chargers game in his first season, right? That wound up costing them to them somehow blowing a 20-plus point lead in the playoffs to a Jacksonville Jaguar team that had no, no reason, no reason to be able to come back from that deficit. Preposterous. Absolutely preposterous that that happened. Four interceptions from Trevor Lawrence in that game. They could not have started that game worse. Four interceptions. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. And uh, it's kind of, it's really the tale of two cities thing, right? You're talking about a team in a playoff game, down 27. Their QB throws four picks in total in the game. And they're fighting, scratching, clawing this Charger team in a divisional game. Hey, your coach's job might be on the line, man. We do not care. We do not care. Cue up the Mike Tomlin soundbite. It did not bother them in the slightest. They, at halftime of this game, had 13 points in 10 quarters. Four of those quarters were played against the New England Patriots, one of the worst teams in the league. Another four against a pretty good Denver team, right? Admittedly, Denver's not the team that gave up 70 at the beginning of the year. But they're not world beaters. And then they face the Raiders. Apparently the Raiders' defense has figured it out. Giving up, you know, in six quarters, giving up three points before obviously foot off the gas sort of thing. And giving up touchdowns in the second half. Look, people love to say, you know, I'm not going to call for somebody's job. If you're not doing your job, what are we doing? I don't wish any anything ill will or anything bad on Brandon Staley. I'm not hoping, you know, God forbid anything of that sake. But it's my job to talk football and analyze what I'm looking at here and talk football with you guys. And I'm not going to put, you know, I'm not going to bury my head here and say that this was a bad firing, right? It was about damn time. It is what it is. Do we need to go anything further into the game? It's, it's not a victory lap. It's like I said, I don't hate the guy even though he does seem to have a bit of an ego on him. But it's, you know, it's one of those Nostradonautic moments where you're like, yeah, yeah, that's about right. 
Number five in the standout seven, just going to take the 10,000 feet in the air view here and talk about the playoff picture in general. We've already done it a little bit, but we'll dive a little deeper as we go. Start with the NFC. Number one in the NFC and the only team to have clinched a playoff spot right now, the 10-3 and San Francisco 49ers. And that's just a berth. That is not the division as of yet, though it's it's close. Um, 10-3, second place is 6-7. and seven. It, it might be this week. Number two in the NFC, the 10-3 and three Dallas Cowboys. Number three, the 9-4 and four and very mercurial Detroit Lions. Number four, the NFC South leading 6-7 and seven Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who would be playing host to the 10-3 number one wild card Philadelphia Eagles. We've seen this one before. Uh, number six, the 7-6 and six Minnesota Vikings. Number seven, the 6-7 six Green Bay Packers. As we talked about before, there are four teams at 6-7 and seven in this order. The Rams, Seahawks, Falcons, and Saints. Then the Giants and Bears still alive at 5-8 and eight apiece. The Commanders technically still alive. Four and nine, and the Cardinals are three and ten, with the Panthers eliminated at one and twelve. In the American Football Conference, nothing clinched as of yet. One seed leading the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens at ten and three. Two seed Miami Dolphins at nine and four. Chiefs at three at eight and five. Jaguars four, also eight and five. Browns five, also eight and five. They're the number one wild card. Holding on to those last two wild card spots right now, the Steelers at seven and six without Kenny Pickett this week, taking on the Indianapolis Colts, also at 7-6. and six. On the outside, looking in, you've got Houston at 8, 7-6. Denver, 7-6. Cincinnati, 7-6. Buffalo, you guessed it, 7-6. And, and the Raiders, as we said before, at 6-8. and eight. Jets and Titans still holding on, 5-8 and eight apiece. Chargers dropping a 5-9, and nine. they're just about out. And the Patriots, all the way at the bottom, at 3-10. and ten. They are eliminated. Who's in a weird spot right now? Which one of these teams, let me know, comment section, social media, wherever. Is it the team you're rooting for? Is it the team you're trying to catch? Which one of these teams in the wild card hunt are you bullish on? And which one of these teams are you kind of nervous about? Right? For me, I'm not confident in anyone after Philly in the NFC. With Justin Jefferson battling a couple of injuries... And now they're going back to Nick Mullins over Dobbs. I mean, Mullins was okay when we saw him in San Francisco a few years ago at this point. They're 7-6. and six. I'm not confident they're going to make it. I'm truly not. Green Bay just lost to the Giants. They're 6-7. and seven. They're taking on Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay might leapfrog them today. Or rather, in a few days. Excuse me. Even if they were to fall out of their division lead, because they're in a current tie for their division lead. I've been high on the Rams. The Geno injury makes me a little squeamish on the Seahawks. The Falcons are... Can they figure it out? If they can figure out sort of an offensive scheme that can get them 20 a game, they might be pretty darn good. And the Saints looked all right on paper. No Michael Thomas. Derek Carr not playing great this year. Uh, Tommy DeVito, we're not going there. Uh, and the Bears, we're not going there. On the AFC side of things, I have a decent amount of confidence in these Cleveland Browns. As weird as it is, no Nick Chubb, no Deshaun Watson, no problem. Joe Flacco looks like he's ready and willing to wing the ball all over the yard. And you know what? That might be what they need. When it comes into the 7-6 and six bundle here, and I mean bundle, because we are talking about six teams, um, 
No Kenny Pickett for Pittsburgh. Were they really playing that great on offense anyway? How much worse can it get? Well, look at how they played against New England, and you can answer that question. Indy, decent pieces if Taylor can get get back on the field for them. I like Michael Pittman. He's got pretty good chemistry with Gardner Minshew. Their defense is all right, though they've wound up in some shootouts. You don't want to wind up in with a backup quarterback. Uh, Houston without Stroud is a non-starter. If Stroud's going to be in the concussion protocol for two, three weeks, even the rest of the season, it's going to be hard for me to believe Case Keenum's going to be able to pull it off. I think Keenum is on par with some of the uh, QBs he's competing with in terms of this playoff race, in terms of, you know, a guy like a Mitchell Trubisky, or you take a look at maybe a guy like Jake Browning. But realistically, the Broncos riding high right now. The Bengals still got the good core, but can Browning keep it together long enough? Can he give you enough to make this push? And Buffalo, team nobody's going to want to see. It's always how it works. You're a great team. You can't get over the hump, can't get over the hump. You have one year where you're decent. You get in as a wild card. That's the year you win the Super Bowl, right? How many Peyton Manning teams had 13, 14 wins? His last year, they win it on pure defense and grit. It's just the way it is sometimes. Call it script writing if you want. Call it whatever. That Buffalo team, nobody is going to want to face them if they make the playoffs. That brings us to number seven in the standout seven. Uh, Just some news and notes here to wrap it up. Um, We didn't even mention Chargers named their outside linebackers coach as their interim head coach, Giff Smith. Is it Giff? Giff or Jiff? We're going to have this conversation on the show now. Uh, And they also fired their GM. They laid off their GM, Telesco. And in lieu of Telesco, they went with Jojo Wooden. High quality name. Um, More news and notes here. Joe Flacco, one-year deal with the Browns. $4.05 million in incentives. Seventy-five grand for each of the following games he wins in the regular season. If they make the playoffs, he will get two hundred fifty grand for a wild card win, five hundred grand for a divisional playoff win, a million dollars if they make the Super Bowl, and two million if they win it. Um, Troy Vincent denied that there is a tush push ban brewing. Roger Goodell came out and said that he has not weighed in on the tush pushery. Uh, you know, Big Rog, I gave you credit last week. If you're really not team ban the tush push, might have to pull your card away, Rog. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, probably didn't want to influence the way teams are going to approach things at the tail end of the season here. Didn't want to impro- influence the saltiness we might get from fans or players or both. Um, and also, considering, probably didn't want to have an impact on the way the referees look at certain plays. Just let it do it. Let them do it in a vacuum. And additionally, I know we talked about Hayden Hurst a couple of weeks ago suffering some significant symptoms after uh, a concussion. His season is, in fact, over. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I was unsure why they were attempting to allow him to come back for his own good. But uh, thankfully, that attempt has been squashed, whether it be due to symptoms or due to medical conditions, doctors, whatever. Either way. Not going to worry about Hayden Hurst on the field suffering anything else for the remainder of the season. Just want to throw this in here while we're kicking someone while they're down a little bit. The Athletic headline on, quote, the demise of Chargers' Brandon Staley. 
too smart for his own good. Has anyone ever watched a Brandon Staley-led Charger team and thought, man, they're just playing a different game? He's just levels ahead. You remember when Mike Vrabel made those moves against the New England Patriots in the playoffs to kill the clock to where they had to change the rule? That was, wow, he's just, you know, you tip your cap. And look, I'm not a super huge Sirianni guy, but you take a look at them doing the tush push, if it is something that has to be banned, like, that was innovative. They took the QB sneak, which is already a pretty efficient play, depending on your QB, and they innovated and made it almost automatic. And look, you tip your cap, competitive balance thing, that's not his problem. If it's allowed, he'll do it, they'll do it, and they'll excel at it. Um... Yeah, very interesting to me that that's where the headline they wanted to go with. Uh, Dean Spanos, the owner of the Chargers, we are clearly not where we expect to be, and we need new vision. Yes. Um, Yes, 100%. Will they go defensive coach again is the question, or will they go offensive coach? Intriguing. Usually teams flip-flop. Are we going to see, you know, people love to talk about Eric Bieniemy. Beginning of the year, they were loving to talk about Eric Bieniemy in Washington, and then the commander's... You know, it kind of fell out from under them. But will we see him brought in, interviewed? I mean, Sam Howell started the year pretty darn good and he's kind of fallen off. You know, in his last three games, one touchdown to five interceptions. Um, Had a four-pick game against Buffalo that really blows up the stats here. 18 touchdowns with 14 picks on the year. He's thrown the ball 500 times. I mean, that's a lot. That feels like a lot. Feels like a lot of dropbacks for what's essentially a rookie quarterback. Let's see where the Chargers go. Let's Enough riffing on the Chargers. Charger fan, this was uh, either a great week for you. I've seen a lot of Charger fans that were actually quite happy that this move was finally made. And maybe there's some Charger fans like, ah, you know, it's unfortunate our season has come to this at all. Well, either way, sorry for you, Charger fan. But that is the end of the standout seven. And don't worry, we will calm you down by talking about this week's matchups as we transition into my favorite part of the show, your favorite part of the show, the Pick'em portion. Now, intriguingly enough, we're having a pretty good year here. Last week, probably our worst week in a long time. We went 7-8. and eight. You know, we had a 4-9 and nine week. That was the one where we had a bunch of upsets. Every other week, we're usually pushing 10-11 wins, uh, or correct picks, rather. Let's try and get right back on track. And we're going to do so with our first game on Saturday from Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati. The not-Josh-Dobbs-led Vikings head to take on the Jake Browning-led Bengals. Vikings going to be without running back Alexander Madison with an ankle injury in this one, as well as wide receiver Jalen Naylor, who's in the concussion protocol, and lineman Brian O'Neill with an ankle. Questionable wide receiver Justin Jefferson with a chest injury, and another O-lineman in Chris Reed with an illness. Bengals listing just three as questionable. Tight end Drew Sample with an illness. Offensive lineman Jackson Carmen with an illness, and linebacker Joe Bacci with an oblique injury. I don't know what I'm going to get out of this Vikings offense with Nick Mullins, potentially Justin Jefferson, and no Alexander Madison. Admittedly, the transition from Cook to Madison has not been as seamless, obviously, as they'd have wanted it to be, but they're still in it. They can still make a run. We'll find out how this is going to go. I'm going to lean towards the Bengals just because they're at home in this one. And honestly, Jake Brown doesn't look that bad under center for the Cincinnati Bengals. 
next, oh, by the way, that game is NFL Network exclusively. All of these Saturday, game, Saturday games are. NFL Network all day or NFL plus streaming. 4.30 p.m., we've got the Pittsburgh Steelers heading to Indy to take on the Colts in a matchup that's going to have a lot of weight in the AFC wildcard chase. Steelers going to be without Kenny Pickett, still battling, rehabbing from that ankle injury. Questionable offensive lineman Isaac Somalu with a shoulder. Colts going to be without their lead back, Jonathan Taylor, with a thumb injury, as well as O-lineman Braden Smith with a knee, and linebacker Selgin Olubi with a hip injury. This is an interesting one, because the Steelers' defense is is pretty darn good. However, I mean, watching them play against Pittsburgh, uh, excuse me, against New England was not a great time, if I'm being completely honest with you, and I mean as a whole squad. This Colts team is, uh, I would say, fairly significantly better than the worst in the AFC New England squad. I'm going to take the Colts to win this one at home. I was leaning towards potentially Pittsburgh. I think their defense can make some real plays, but give me Indy. Next, we have two more playoff hopefuls, or one almost locked up and another hopeful, as the Denver Broncos head to Detroit to take on the Lions in our 8-15 game on Saturday. Actually, I'm saying tomorrow. By the time you guys are listening to this, it's probably going to be today, right? Either way, Saturday. You get the point. Uh, Broncos are going to be without tight end Greg Dulcich with a hamstring-slash-foot injury, as well as linebacker Nick Bonetto with a knee. Questionable, safety P.J. Locke with a neck injury. Lions are going to be without backup QB, who's still rehabbing a knee injury, and Hendon Hooker. Questionable, wide receiver Josh Reynolds with a back. Offensive lineman Taylor Decker with a back. Frank Ragnow with a knee, back, and toe. And D-lineman Benito Jones with a neck injury. Which Detroit Lions team is going to show up? That really is the question for me. Um, This Denver team has about-faced from the beginning of the year entirely. They're kind of rolling, but, I mean, come on. This is a Lions squad that is fresh off of a loss to the Bears. Like, and they barely beat the Bears a handful of weeks ago. And they were way up on the Saints, and they let them all the way back in it. They lost to Green Bay. They played a really, like, nip-and-tuck game with the Chargers. I can't make heads or tails of this Lions team. And honestly, that's the theme of the season, if I'm being honest. A lot of these contenders, save for what? San Francisco and Baltimore? Like, they've got some weird blemishes on their resumes. Um, That being said, the game's in Detroit. Detroit is theoretically the better team, so give me the Lions to bring this one home to cap off our Saturday slate of games. Next, we've got Tommy Cutlets leading the Giants down to Caesars Superdome to take on the Derek Carr-led New Orleans Saints. 5-8 versus 6-7 could play a role, at least in the NFC South divisional hunt, or potentially in the wildcard chase. Uh, for the Giants, listing just one is doubtful. Offensive lineman, oh my goodness, Evan Neal with an ankle. They're going to miss him. Uh, questionable, returning tight end Darren Waller with a hamstring injury. O-lineman Justin Pugh with a calf. And D-lineman, huge one for them, Dexter Lawrence with a hammy. Saints could be without running back Kendra Miller with an ankle injury. D-lineman Isaiah Foskey with a quad. And fellow D-lineman Peyton Turner with a toe. Questionable, another running back in Jamal Williams with a groin Star wide receiver Chris Olave with an ankle and O-lineman Ryan Ramchek rest slash knee. Intriguing that you'd see rest for a team that is chasing a playoff spot on the NFL.com injury report, but let's just assume it's the knee and not the rest. Maybe rest is why you missed practice. Um, either way, honestly, I'm going to take the Giants. Like I said, there's 
whether it's good juju or whatever it is, Tommy DeVito's got a little bit of that Lin Sanity in him. Um, he's got a little bit of that Tim Tebow just getting it done in him somehow. And for that, I've got to lean towards them against an underachieving Saints team on the road. Next, we got a battle of the Bees as the Bears head to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Bears going to be without wide receiver Equinemius St. Brown with a pectoral injury. Tremendous name, as always. Uh, as well as linebacker Noah Sewell with a knee. Questionable wide receiver DJ Moore, who is the bulk of their passing game. And DB Jaquan Brisker with a groin. Brown's going to be without center Ethan Pochich with a stinger injury. I believe it might be Posick. Not sure which pronunciation he goes with here. As someone who goes with Donatic instead of Donatic. Uh, shout out to you, Ethan. Uh, also out for the Browns in this one on the defensive side, safety Juan Thornhill with a calf injury and D-lineman Ogbo Okoronkwo with a pectoral. Another banger name. It's a shame both of these guys are going to miss this game. Questionable, another D-lineman in Jordan Elliott with a concussion, linebacker Anthony Walker with a knee, and corner Denzel Ward battling a nagging shoulder injury. I'm going to take the Flacco Browns in this one. For whatever reason, they seem to be rolling, and you know what? This feels like a game that, I've talked about this before, certain franchises, it's not cursed, it's not juju, it's just, they lose games like this. They're very losable games. And when it's a game that they should win, they will find a way to bungle it up, right? And there are certain teams that, even when they're behind, like Kansas City nowadays, even when they're behind, it feels like they're going to find a way to win. There's going to be a fumble, or there's going to be a weird trick play, or a punt return, or something like that. Cleveland's got some bad juju, but, you know, the Chicago Bears kind of do, too, if we're being completely honest. Give me Flacco to win this one, earn himself a nice little 75K at home. Next, we've got an NFC South showdown as a battle of the Cat and the Bird, my favorite. The Atlanta Falcons head to Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte to take on the Carolina Panthers. And we've got a laundry list of injuries on both sides for this one, so get out your notepad. Falcons going to be without O-lineman Caleb McGarry with a knee-slash-illness, as well as D-lineman Kentavious Street with a pectoral injury. Another great name. It's a bad week for guys with great names, you know what I mean? The all-name team, which is patent-pending at the end of the year, got a lot of injuries this week. Questionable for the Falcons, three offensive linemen in Drew Dolman with an ankle, Chris Lindstrom with an ankle, and Jake Matthews with a knee, two D-linemen in LaCale London with a knee, David Onyemata with an ankle, and two linebackers in Nate Landman with a knee and Bud Dupree with a back injury. Panthers going to be without, as we said, their starting tight end Hayden Hurst, their backup tight end Ian Thomas with an ankle, and guard Justin McCray with a calf. Questionable, a laundry list of players all on the defensive side. Amari Barno with an illness at linebacker, Brian Burns with an ankle, Yatir Gross Matos with a knee, and then in the secondary, Deshaun Jameson with an illness, Sam Franklin Jr. with an illness, Jamie Robinson with a finger and Xavier Woods with an illness. Look, I'm not picking the Panthers, guys. They're just not good. I can't do it. Give me the Falcons. It doesn't matter who they're playing. They can be playing the University of Alabama Crimson Tide. I'm not taking the Panthers. I'm sorry. Give me the Falcons to win this one on the road. Next, speaking of NFC South contenders, we got through the whole division here. Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to Lambeau to take on the Jordan Love-led Packers. Battle of six and seven teams. The Bucks going to be without two players on their defense. D-lineman William Golson with a knee-slash-ankle injury and corner Carlton Davis with a groin. Doubtful, D-lineman Vita Vea with a toe, which is a big one, one of their better players on the D-line, as well as safety Ryan Neal with a back injury. 
Questionable, one of their lead receivers in Chris Godwin with a knee. Linebacker Devin White with a foot. Corner Jamel Dean with an ankle slash foot. And an, a sneaky big one in their long snapper, Zach Triner, with an elbow injury. Interesting. For the Packers, listing one is doubtful. Christian Watson with a hamstring injury. Questionable, both of their running backs in A.J. Dillon with a thumb and Aaron Jones with a knee. Wide receiver Dontavian Wicks with an ankle. On the defensive side, linebacker Quay Walker with a shoulder. Two corners in Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes with a shoulder and hammy, respectively, and safety Darnell Savage joining the crew with a shoulder injury as well. This game's in Green Bay, right? Which should give a little bit of a bump to the Green Bay Packers, but I'm not certain. I'm truly not. I'm leaning towards Tampa Bay in this one, if I'm being completely honest. Right now, as we sit, we were talking about the playoff picture not too long ago. Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the catbird seat in their division. I think Todd Bowles and the Bucks are going to keep it that way. Give me the Bucks to win this one on the road. Next, we head to the AFC East as the New York Jets fly down to Miami to take on the Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium. Uh, Jets listing Aaron Rodgers out for this one, obviously, still coming back from the Achilles injury. Also going to be that wide receiver Jason Brownlee with an ankle. Doubtful offensive lineman Carter Warren with a hip. Questionable. Running back Nick Bauden with a knee, two O-linemen in Max Mitchell with a neck and Joe Tipman with a shoulder, and two D-linemen in John Franklin Myers with an ankle and Will McDonald the fourth with a knee injury. Dolphins going to be without an O-lineman in Robert Hunt with a hammy and safety Deshaun Elliott with a concussion. Questionable, their explosive running back Devon Achan excuse me, with a toe injury, as well as running back Chris Brooks with a knee. Also on here, huge one in Tyreek Hill with an ankle. Three O-linemen, and Liam Eikenberg with a calf, Austin Jackson with an oblique, and Teron Armstead with a knee-slash-ankle. On the defensive side, linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle with an oblique, corner Xavier Howard with a hip, and safety Javon Holland with knees, plural. Those are some big ones on the injury report. Achan, Hill, Teron Armstead, Ginkle, Howard, Holland, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think, and we didn't even really break down that Jets game with the Texans, Zach Wilson probably had the best game of his career, and we just kind of no-sold it. C.J. Stroud didn't really do much at all, and then obviously he wound up getting injured, and they get blown out on the road. Um, I'm gonna no, I'm gonna continue to no-sell it, and I'm gonna take the Dolphins to win this one, no matter how beat up they are at home over the Jets. Keeping with the AFC East theme, our next game, the New England Patriots are playing host to the defending champion Kansas City Chiefs at Gillette Stadium. Chiefs can be without their lead back Isaiah Pacheco with a shoulder injury, and O-lineman Donovan Smith with a neck. Uh, doubtful wide receiver Justin Ross, not injury-related, slash returning from a suspension. Patriots going to be without running back Ramondre Stevenson with an ankle. Questionable, three, excuse me, four wideouts. Well, Matthew Slater doesn't play much offense, but four wideouts technically. In Devontae Parker with a knee, Matthew Slater with a groin, Juju Smith-Schuster with an ankle, and Tyquan Thornton with a hammy. One on the O-line and Trent Brown with an ankle-slash-hand. D-lineman Christian Barmore with a shoulder-slash-illness, and Jawan Bentley at a linebacker with a knee injury. Um, as much as people are rooting for and praying for the downfall of the Kansas City Chiefs, I would be utterly shocked if they found a way to lose this one on the road to the lowly New England Patriots. Give me the Chiefs to get back in the right side of the column with a win on the road. Next, we've got an AFC South showdown in our final 1 o'clock kick. The Houston Texans, Sands, C.J. Stroud, head to Tennessee, Nissan Stadium to be exact, to take on the Titans. Texans going to be without Will Anderson Jr. with an ankle. 
the aforementioned C.J. Stroud with a concussion, linebacker Blake Cashman with a hammy, and corner Tavir Thomas with a hamstring as well. Questionable, two wide receivers in Noah Brown with a knee and Nico Collins with a calf, offensive linemen Shaq Mason and George Fant with a calf and hip respectively, and linebacker Henry To'o To'o. The Titans are going to be without wide receiver Kyle Phillips with a hammy, tight end Josh Wiley with a knee, D-lineman Tier Tart with a non-injury slash personal matter, and D-lineman Jeffrey Simmons with a knee. Questionable, wide receiver Nick Westbrook-Akine with an illness, D-lineman Danico Autry with a knee slash illness, linebacker Jack Gibbons with a back, and safety Kayvon Wallace with a quad injury. I'm going to be honest with you, this one feels like a bit of a toss-up. I'm hearing that Stroud's not going to go, obviously. New York Post saying he's not going to go. So... Who is going to go as their QB? Are we thinking it's going to be Davis Mills? I believe he's still the backup for the squad, right? You take a look at the Texans from last week after Stroud went down. They did go to Mills. He was one for five for four yards. I thought Davis Mills was a decent, serviceable level QB in the reps that we saw him when he was a starter. You pull up his stats real quick. I mean, we're not too far removed from this guy starting 15 games. 16 touchdowns, 10 picks as a rookie. 17 touchdowns, 15 picks last year. Um, They asked for more out of him, and obviously, well, it led to more turnovers. The guy's not awful. I don't know if right now I would say I'm more confident in their offense with injuries at the receiver position than I am in the Tennessee offense. And for that reason, not to mention Tennessee's at home, I'm going to take the Titans to pull off a mini upset here and kind of put a wrench in things for the Houston Texans playoff plans. That'll bring us to the 405 slate, our first two games in NFC West showdown. The 49ers take on the Arizona Cardinals. 49ers going to be without running back Elijah Mitchell with a knee, tight end Ross Dwelly with an ankle, D-lineman Eric Armstead with a foot-slash-knee, D-lineman Javon Hargrave with a hammy, and linebacker Oren Brooks, excuse me, Burks, with a knee injury. Questionable, 2-0 lineman in Aaron Banks with a hip, and Spencer Burford with a knee, linebacker Dre Greenlaw with a hip-slash-ankle, and corner Trevarius Ward with a groin. Cardinals, going to be without linebacker Tyreek Smith, not injury-related, and corner Bobby Price with a quad injury. Questionable, deep threat wide receiver Marquise Hollywood-Brown with a heel injury. Wide receiver Michael Wilson with a neck. Tight end Jeff Swain with a back. O-lineman Elijah Wilkinson with a neck. Linebacker Chris Barnes with a rib injury. And their punter, Blake Gillikin, with a back injury. Uh, We don't need to dive into the nitty-gritty of this game. It would be a tremendous upset if the Cardinals pulled this one off. Particularly if Hollywood-Brown is not able to go in this one and they don't have a deep threat to just kind of Let's chuck it up and see if we can make some sparks in this game. Give me the 49ers to grab a real tight grip on that one seed with a win on the road. Next, a team on the outside looking in and a team a little bit further back in the pack in the NFC playoff picture as the Washington Commanders head to the West Coast to take on the Rams. Ron Rivera's squad is going to be without running back Brian Robinson Jr. with a hamstring injury, tight end Curtis Hodges with a back, and D-lineman James Smith-Williams with a hammy. The Rams, on the other hand, just listing two is questionable. Wide receiver Tutu Atwell with a concussion and O-lineman Rob Havenstein with a groin. This could be a sneaky, decent game. Um, 
I mentioned that Sam Howell's turnovers have ticked up. This could be a game where they need him to put up some points if they're going to keep up with the Rams' offense that's trying to push their way into the postseason or into contention. I'm going to take the Rams to win this one at home, but it wouldn't shock me if this wound up a bit of a high-scoring affair in L.A. Next, our only 425 game, and it's a Super Bowl rematch from many years ago. The Dallas Cowboys head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Cowboys going to be without D-lineman Jonathan Hankins with a knee-slash-ankle injury in this one. Questionable for this game for the Cowboys. Wide receiver Brandon Cooks with an illness. Jalen Tolbert with an illness. O-lineman Matt Waletsko with a shoulder. D-lineman Viliami Fehoko Jr. with a knee injury. Corner Stephon Gilmore with an illness. And a little bit of a revenge game. And safety Malik Hooker with an ankle. The Bills going to be without safety. Micah Hyde with a neck stinger. And D-lineman A.J. Epinesa with a rib. Questionable. Wide receiver Justin Shorter with a hammy and corner Kyir Elam with an ankle injury. This is going to come down to similar things that I discussed last week when the Bills played the Chiefs. Um, I think the Cowboys' de- excuse me, Cowboys offense is currently better than the Chiefs' offense, and I don't think that's a very crazy statement to make. I think the Cowboys' offense is probably better than the Bills' offense. The Bills are willing to take risks, and their defense looked pretty good against the Chiefs. This is going to bank on the fact that, like I said, and you know what, it's not analytic in any way, shape, or form. This is going to bank, my pick that is, on the fact that Buffalo needs this game. Buffalo cannot afford to be losing games right now. They're on the outside looking in. They're in a very crowded playoff picture. They've got the Chargers next week, very winnable game. Patriots, very winnable game. And they run into Miami in Week 18. That may not be a winnable game. So if you're going to lose one of these, you might have to bank it for that game against the Dolphins. You take a look back at their matchup earlier in the year. Buffalo trounced them, right? 48-20. to 20, But that game was in Buffalo. In Miami last year, we had the Josh Allen hop on that late pass. And, you know, Miami pulled it off. Kind of announced they were here. Let's see how that goes in Week 18. But we're not in Week 18 right now. We're in Week 15. The Dallas Cowboys, on the other hand, I say they might not be desperate. However a loss would open the door back up to them being a wild card team. Something you don't really want. You want to stay in the pack here as we push towards the tail end of the year because one slip up from San Francisco and you could be the one seed. Interesting. Dallas Cowboys have games against Buffalo, Miami, Detroit, and Washington to end the year. 49ers, on the other hand, keeping track with our little narrative here, have games against the Cardinals that we just discussed, the Ravens, Commanders, and Rams. And oh, by the way, just to keep it interesting, the Eagles have two games against the Giants, this week against the Seahawks, and in between the Giants games, they play the Arizona Cardinals. Whose schedule would you rather have? Let me know what you guys think. Probably the Eagles schedule, obviously, as you're taking on the Giants twice, and those are very winnable games. We're not talking about any of those teams. Back to the matter at hand. 425, our lone... Mid-afternoon game. Dallas going on the road to Buffalo. Two quarterbacks that are ready and willing to throw the football to the other team. I think Buffalo's nervous. I think you see a difference in how Buffalo is potentially playing to help Sean McDermott keep his job versus how the Chargers played in prime time when they probably needed to put up a decent performance to help Brandon Staley keep his job. Would he have lost his job at the end of the year anyway? Likely. But now we'll never know. 
Give me Buffalo to somehow pull this one off just like they did against the Chiefs. Now, granted, they kind of blew that game against the Chiefs when they got called back, but you know what? What's the saying? If ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a jolly Christmas? Well, it's the right season for it, but give me Buffalo to win this one at home. Next, we get into a huge one, also a battle of a cat and a bird, as we head to Sunday night football. The Baltimore Ravens heading down to South Florida, or is it North Florida, to take, I think it's North Florida, actually, to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ravens listing just two on their injury report. Questionable linebacker Malik Ham with an ankle and safety Kyle Hamilton with a knee. Jaguars going to be without two in their secondary, and Tyson Campbell at corner with a quad and safety Andre Sisco with a groin. Questionable, a few more players for the hosting Jaguars. Wide receiver Jamal Agnew with a shoulder. Tight end Brenton Strange with a foot. 2-0 lineman in Walker Little with a hammy and Ezra Cleveland with a knee. Corners Christian Braswell with a hammy, Trey Herndon in the concussion protocol, and their long snapper, Ross Matisic, with a back injury. Rough week for long snappers. Huh? It's kind of wearing on your back as the season goes on. I'm taking Baltimore. Now, if everybody in Jacksonville was healthy, if Trevor Lawrence hadn't sustained an ankle injury a couple weeks ago, if he hadn't thrown three interceptions last week in a winnable game, maybe we could have a conversation. But as we sit right now, I've got to go with the better team. Baltimore trying to keep their foot on the pedal, trying to win the AFC, you know, number one seed. They've got to win this game, and I think on the road they do. And you know what, depending on the performance that Lamar Jackson has, he can kind of vault his way back into the lead for the MVP, because it's kind of a cluster right now. That'll bring us to Monday Night Football. The Philadelphia Eagles, in a battle of the birds, head to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. As we sit right now, no injury report, but it says that Geno Smith returned to practice, did everything in a walkthrough. He listed as limited at practice. Will he play? I don't know. We'll find out. I'm going to operate under the assumption he will. However, I'm going to operate under the assumption that it might not matter. Seattle put up a heck of a fight in their loss a handful of weeks ago to the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm afraid we might be in a similar situation here where they're just a little outclassed and they're going to fight, 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 and it's not going to be enough. I also don't think the Eagles are going to take kindly, particularly Nick Sirianni, obviously, because we know he's got a little bit of an ego to him to being called fraudulent this, that, and the third after getting punked utterly in back-to-back weeks by NFC contenders. If they lose to the Seahawks, it will be the sky falling in Philadelphia, and I think they'd like to avoid that. Give me the Eagles to win this one on the road. That'll bring us to our Thursday night football game of Week 16. Can you believe we are already here? December the 21st, the New Orleans Saints, led by Derek Carr, head to L.A. to take on the Rams, led by Matt Stafford. You know, beginning of the year, I thought this could be a fun matchup, but the Saints have under-delivered, and the Rams are trending up at the right time. Give me the Rams to win this one at home. I think the talent is there for New Orleans. That's why I had them, I believe I had them coming out of the NFC South when the season started. But kind of like Atlanta, it's just not, it's not piecing together the way that you think it would. So, home team, going to bring this one home. Now, we've got two games on Saturday next week. I'm going to give you preliminary picks. I think we will be able to do the show Friday evening. There should be no problem. But, as we push into what is really a holiday week, 
You never know how scheduling is going to go. So, you know what? We'll be safe about it. We'll give it a pick early, and I'll put a little asterisk on it. I'll talk to you probably next Friday at evening, right? And we'll change this pick if we need to. Our 4.30 p.m. Saturday game next week, Bengals at Steelers. Currently, we don't know if Pickett's going to go. We have no idea how that's going. I have tentatively, with the asterisk, Jake Browning and the Bengals trying to push their way into the postseason. And look, you know, the New York Giants did it before with a backup. The Philadelphia Eagles did it before with a backup. Could Jake Browning piece it together for the Bengals and make this kind of a miraculous year out of what was a lost year? Speaking of lost years, our other game involves at 8 p.m. on next Saturday, the Buffalo Bills heading to the West Coast to take on the L.A. Chargers in the coaching debut of, you know, Brandon Staley's replacement, whose name I have clearly already forgotten and I'm not stalling for, Giff Smith. Uh, I've got Buffalo winning that game. I've got Buffalo beating Giff, unfortunately. If Herbert was on the field, that could actually be a really fun game. But with Easton Stick, uh, I'm not going to bank on them making that one super competitive unless Josh feels like making it one by throwing the ball to the other team a couple of times. Again, those last two picks are very tentative. We'll stick with the Rams pick for Thursday night, obviously, because we air Friday evening, early Saturday. But if I don't get to you late Friday next week, lock me in. Let's do it. Bengals and Bills, the Killer Bees, for those Saturday games. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode and the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Episode number 182 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Whether it was your first episode or your 182nd for some reason, you are a super fan. I love you. If it was your first, I love you anyway. Stick around. We'll be back next week to break down Week 15 action and preview all the Week 16 action. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.